Today is Wednesday, July the 13th. GG Watch continues. SEC Media Days preview. And much, much more next on the Worldwide Wednesday edition of the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. It's time for the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. Here's the cockfather himself, Keith Olson. This is Rodgers again to the 25, 20, 15, 10. Rodgers scores! Get the ball to Bennett and goes. Jackie Bradley Jr. delivers for the Gamecocks. Everybody, welcome in to another Worldwide Wednesday show on the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast, episode number 983, where in just a couple minutes we will be joined by our good friend from GoGamecocks.com and the state, Ben Portnoy, for another edition of Portnoy Potpourri, a number of topics to get to today, including G.G. Jackson Watch. Yesterday morning, uh, the On3.com prediction machine had South Carolina as a 56.7% favorite to land G.G. Jackson. This morning, that number is now 91.8%. So it's not 100%. Uh, But certainly things are trending in the right direction. Uh, There could be some resolution uh, possibly as early as today, although I'm expecting something either later this week or into next week, maybe during the Peach Jam. I was told it would probably be anywhere from the 14th to the 22nd of the month would be the timetable on the announcement. Uh, yesterday, for the first time, uh, UNC Insiders on InsideCarolina.com on the 24-7 Sports Network acknowledged that Gigi is likely gone uh, as uh, North Carolina staff is now offering other players and scouting other players at his position, and they no longer consider him a commitment to the Tar Heels. You couple that with the fact that Lamont Paris was at the Adidas event in Rock Hill, which was jam-packed last week with prospects and uh, basically the who's who of coaches. He left and flew on the university plane to Kansas City to be front and center for G.G. Jackson's games. Uh, So I think things are definitely trending in the right direction, and there should be a resolution uh, sometime in the next seven to ten days. All right, SEC Media Days get started next week. We'll preview that with Ben Portnoy. Uh, I'm certain he will be in attendance at the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. Uh, We'll talk about uh, Gamecock uh, quarterback recruiting. We'll talk about the uh, current roster and where the Gamecocks could go Uh, after Dylan Lonergan commits to Alabama on Monday. Not a big surprise. 
Uh, things began to shift last week, uh, but I think South Carolina has a great plan, and certainly this quarterback room is in much, much better shape than it was a year ago. We'll get into that and uh, just recruiting in general. South Carolina up to 13 public commitments and two welcome homes that have yet to be revealed. And there are several uh, announcements pending this month. So we'll get into all of that and much, much more with Ben Portnoy from Go Gamecocks and the State. And we welcome in the man himself, who I'm certain will be in Atlanta for SEC Media Days at the College Football Hall of Fame uh, in preparation for uh, SEC Media Days, which begins on Monday. But before we do that, Ben, we got to talk about Gigi Jackson. Uh, a lot of stuff's been going on since the last time we had you on. How are you, and uh, how was your vacation? I'm good. I'm good. Caught a, caught a little bit of vacation. Got down to Hilton Head for a few days. Got to uh, Chicago. I'm actually going to Florida tomorrow, so I guess it's what, Wednesday, so I'm leaving tomorrow, and uh, getting a little more time in the sun before Media Days kicks off and uh, football season really gets here. Looks like you uh, picked up a little uh, a little souvenir from your time at Augusta National there. Ben's got on a very clean uh, green pullover uh, from Augusta National. Looking uh, very sharp there. All right, so uh, Lou Bajak, your uh, compadre there at the state, published an article yesterday. It's been all over the internet. You got boots on the ground there in Columbia. What are you hearing on Gigi Jackson? Uh, it seems as of today, the on3.com prediction machine has South Carolina as almost a 92% favorite uh, for Jackson, who is still committed to North Carolina for the class of 2023, but it looks like a, a flip and reclassification could come at any day now. Yeah, the understanding I've gotten, and Lou kind of reported it yet. Lou and uh, Michael and Anna, our men's basketball reporter, kind of reported it yesterday, reported it out yesterday. But I guess kind of the understanding is that it feels like that South Carolina is is the option, is the the choice, uh, assuming all goes to plan. Um, you know, obviously things uh, can change in a matter of a day or an hour, but you know, right now it seems like South Carolina is right in the thick of it, and <laughs> this all kind of came out of nowhere a little bit, but. Um, you know, South Carolina has been hammering at it and, and been keeping uh, keeping at GG since he committed to UNC, and, and clearly he's given Lamont Paris and his staff a chance. And uh, you know, I think there's been something that's clicked, and I think you know, there's the question of how much was Frank Martin's firing going to impact this recruitment? And you know, we know how close GG had been to Frank and, and that staff, and, and all that kind of came with that. And there was kind of a fear that if he did make the change, that he wouldn't land him, but. Right now, it sure looks like Lamont Paris and his crew are in a really good position. And, that, you know, I don't know if that takes Carolina from a, you know, bottom-ish part of the pack of the SEC to, you know, the middle of the pack or the top of the pack or where what that kind of does. I You know, I don't know how much that's how much that flies at scale. But, you know, landing a guy of Gigi Jackson's impact is, is, is hard to overstate, though. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, I said it back when – Gigi Jackson committed to North Carolina after the coaching change. If I was Lamont Paris, I would take the old lefty Drizelle approach, which is when a guy commits, well, now it's basically down to North Carolina and South Carolina. When lefty Drizelle was at Davidson, when he was at Maryland, uh, that is the lefty Drizelle approach. That way, you only have to really scuttle one school. You don't have to worry about uh, anybody else scuttling you. And certainly I think there were always heartstrings pulling. There were family members pulling Gigi Jackson to stay home, uh, you know, to potentially become, quote, unquote, the Asia Wilson of South Carolina men's basketball. But I also think, what happened at the NBA Players Association camp 
really had a lot to do with the change of thinking because, look, that's just not a camp where they roll the balls out. It's not your typical summer camp. You're being coached by former NBA players, former NBA and college coaches, and they put you through the ringer. It is a high intensity. It's essentially the top gun of basketball camps. That's what it is. It's for the best of the best. They push your limits. They test your abilities. Uh, It's just not, you know, a laissez-faire kind of deal where they roll the balls out every day. He was by far the best player at that camp. It really elevated his stock. And I think that may have cemented the thinking that, hey, he's ready for college now. He really doesn't need another year. And I think Lamont Paris, his staff, Kerry Rich, uh, boots on the ground there in Columbia, I think all of that's played a major role and I'm hearing it could take place as early as tomorrow or potentially at the Peach Jam uh, next week. Your thoughts on that and then getting a guy of this stature, a national level recruit, how does that change the trajectory for Lamont Paris at South Carolina, because I think it's a bigger deal than like landing Jadevian Clowney when you're Steve Spurrier. Football is a completely different animal than basketball. Your take. Yeah, you're right. I mean, basketball recruiting is a totally different animal and a totally different thing. Obviously the involvement of AAU coaches and things like that. It's just, it's just a different animal. Um, And that said, like you said, it's, it's, for a school like South Carolina, and obviously you get the benefit of GZ being right in the backyard for sure, but I mean, South Carolina is a school that really, I mean, truly lacks a real history in men's basketball, right? Obviously, you've got the Final Four and not to downplay that, but you know, you've got what, nine NCAA tournament appearances in about 100 years of college of men's basketball. I mean, that's not, you know, exactly a long standing tradition. And I think that to go out and sign a national recruit like GG, I would say, you know, things still got to go that way, but. Um, to put yourself in a position to do that is a big step forward. And I think it changes the perception pretty quickly of what Lamont Paris is building and what he's doing. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were somewhat underwhelmed when he was hired uh, at South Carolina last year. And I think that, you know, when you take that into consideration, the fact that he can go and flip the guy like Gigi uh, and pull him into the wings, I think it gives people a, a sense of, all right, the staff knows what they're doing. They're figuring things out. And I think that, you know, certainly it takes time. Certainly there's a, uh, there's a, uh, it's a building block, right? I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing that leads to another guy next year and another guy the year after that and so on down the line. And I think that's the biggest thing here is that you're seeing South Carolina capitalize on, on having a guy in their backyard who's a national recruit, but then also, you know, how do you build off that as well? And then you obviously got the season, you got to play well. But I, I think if you're South Carolina, I mean, it, it's only up from there. I mean, I agree. I think it could potentially set off a garnet wave of uh, recruiting momentum if Gigi Jackson comes in, has a great experience. South Carolina has a pretty good season. I don't really think he makes them an NCAA team. I think if you had uh, Devin Carter, Jermaine Cousinard, and things of that nature, I think at that point, you know, South Carolina may have been, that may have pushed them over the top, so to speak. Uh, But at the same time, Rick Barnes recruited this uh, tall, lanky guy from uh, the Washington, D.C. area out to Texas. His name was Kevin Durant. And... You know, Gigi Jackson's not a seven-footer. He's not a seven-foot wing like Kevin Durant, but he is the number one player uh, or prospect in the country. And I think you see all the sustained recruiting success uh, Rick Barnes has had. A lot of that is every time he's in a recruit's home, a recruit comes into his office, Kevin Durant's on speed dial. 
I, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say G.G. Jackson is the next Kevin Durant because, quite frankly, he's probably one of the top 10 to 15 NBA players of all time based on just talent and skill set. Uh, but I do think G.G. Jackson has a lot of clout in Columbia and in the state, and I think that will set uh, also nationally. That will cause players and AAU organizations to say, wow, this guy decommitted from North Carolina and he's going to South Carolina to play for their new guy. Maybe we need to give this guy a look. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And I think that that's, that's what you're building, right? Is that, you know, if you look at South Carolina, I think there's two ways to look at it, right? It's that one, it's, it's a place that's devoid of history, or you look at it as a blank slate. It's a place that you can build something, at least in theory, and that you can t- put your own spin on it and try and, and try and be the first to do something. And I think there's also some value in that. So I think that, you know, signing a guy like Gigi is the first step, or, you know, making moves to try and sign a guy like Gigi is the first step in trying to move things in that direction and I think that you know there's a lot of <clears throat> I think there was a lot of trepidation when Lamont Paris got hired but the, the prevailing thought was give him time and let him do his thing and, and they'll figure things out and I think that you're seeing that right like this is the step toward that and I don't know that South Carolina I still don't think South Carolina is an NCAA tournament team uh, even with G.G. Jackson but uh, I, I do think that you know South Carolina is is poised to be at least competitive, interesting, whatever you want to, whatever word you want to use, uh, in year one in a way that they probably wouldn't have been if, or that they would not be without it. I agree. So, GG Watch continues. Uh, certainly, things are trending the right direction. So, Ben, SEC Media Days gets underway on Monday in Atlanta, not in Hoover, uh, not virtual. Uh, but it, live and in person at the College Football Hall of Fame. Were you there on the Mississippi State beat the last time they had uh, media days in Atlanta? I wasn't. That was my. Uh, that was right before I got to uh, to to, uh, to Starkville. So I, I missed out the last time I was in Atlanta. But first one, first one I got was 2019 in Hoover. All right. Well, I think uh, this is a much uh, obviously, uh, in Atlanta is a much uh, more, uh, you know, for the media to be able to do after media days is over. Probably a lot uh, better restaurant selection, uh, entertainment, etc. So I think you're in for a real treat. Um, and so yesterday, Shane Beamer announced the three players that would travel with him to Atlanta and none of them was Spencer Rattler, Austin Stogner, Juice Wells, Devonnie Reed. None of the transfers. Instead, it is fifth-year offensive lineman Javon Gwynn, fifth-year uh, athlete Dakarian Joyner, and then senior five-star recruit, Zach Pickens, from T.L. Hanna. Just your thoughts on the selection of those three individuals to travel to media days instead of right now one of the hottest names and has been since he entered the transfer portal, Spencer Rattler. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think you look at it and it's clearly a choice of here's the oldest guys in the room, here's who – paid their dues for lack of a better term and who, who've been around and been a part of this program for a long time. And this being a, an honor to go to media days. Right. Um, and I think that that's part of that. Uh, obviously we haven't spoken with Shane Beamer since or what he decided or how they went about picking that, but you know, that's kind of the vibe that you get. Um, that said, you know, I think <laughs> not that anyone really cares to hear reporters complain. I think it's a little surprising, but you know, Spencer Rattler's not going to be there. I think when you look at it, I don't want to say it's a misstep or a public relations problem or something, but you know, Shane Beamer has been someone who's pretty well capitalized on just about every bit of, you know, media presence he's gotten since he's been in South Carolina. And I think it's a little surprising to not bring 
you know, look, no, frankly, the one player on South Carolina that everyone in the SEC knows. I think that, you know, when you ask at Joe Fan from, you know, Ole Miss, they probably don't even know who Josh Van is, let alone, you know, Devonnie Reed or whoever, but they know who Spencer Rattler is. And that's, you know, no knock on South Carolina, not that there aren't talented players and a knock on the three guys that are going. It's just that you've got a guy who is a true brand in college football and, and not having them there, especially when you've got seven other quarterbacks that are going to be there, I think is is a little surprising. Again, I don't know that it's a problem. I don't know that it's an issue. I just, it's, it's a little shocking. And I, that was my one lock. I, I assumed that Spencer Rattler was going to be part of the three that would go. Um, obviously not, but uh, I, I think you'll, also run into the question of, you know, if you bring Spencer Rattler, does it become, turn into a, what happened at Oklahoma thing for all day? But the flip side of it is then now you've got three guys that everyone's just going to ask about Spencer Rattler the whole time. So it's an interesting dynamic. I think there's no perfect way to play it, but uh, I would say I was a little surprised by them not bringing bringing Spencer Rattler. But I think, you know, again, it's older guys, it's guys who've all paid their dues and who, you know, I guess deserted in in the eyes of the staff and all that. so that's that's kind of I guess my general take on it. <laughs> All right, so I say Shane Beamer is very purposeful with everything he does, and I think a lot of the questions for Spencer Rattler would have been about what happened at Oklahoma, and probably loaded questions about Lincoln Riley, and also Spencer Rattler. And really none of the transfers that have just come in can speak to the difference in the program, the difference in culture, the difference of guys either being not in the building, now loving to be in the building, just the the entire different approach and the turnaround, right? You went from two and eight to seven and six and you boat raced North Carolina, who was a top 15 preseason pick with an AP preseason All-American quarterback in Sam Howell. Shane Beamer, coffee's for closers. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the ABCs always be closing. Shane Beamer is always recruiting, right? He even made a veiled reference to Oscar Delp last year at media days okay it didn't pay off but i think he was very purposeful with this and i also think he's being protective of his quarterback because what happens if spencer rattler has a misstep in one of those answers about oklahoma then he becomes you know the subject of numerous uh hit piece stories by Dennis Dodd uh, and others who are just looking for an excuse. So that that's just my take on it. No, I agree. I think there's a level of you're protecting the guy from having to deal with all that. And I get, and I get that. I think that's fair. I don't think it's a problem. I think it's, just, again, it's surprising that you don't take the most, I guess, known guy, but at the same time, like you said, when you feel like the liars, it makes sense to, to protect the guy from, you know, getting bombarded with questions about his past and, and previous place and, and all of that. So, so it does make sense. It's not totally without cause or anything like that, at least if you want to peel back the curtain a little bit, but uh, definitely interesting. It was definitely surprising. I guess I would say that when the list didn't come out. And also I would have to say the one player that has done more interviews that has been front and center with the media than anybody else in the program since arriving in January has been Spencer Rattler. So, uh, you know, while that's obviously the guy the media wants, Shane Beamer wants to continue to control the narrative. uh, And uh, we'll get into breaking down the days and my nicknames for virtually every coach in the conference. So, uh, bright and early on Monday morning, I'm sure the commissioner, uh, Greg Sankey, will kick it off. I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions about college football expansion. We're going to get to that later. But leading off on Monday, the first coach is General Brian Beauregard Kelly, 
who has developed a southern accent and has uh, you know, recently purchased a haberdashery there in Baton Rouge. And so here at the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast, we're very resourceful. And so we have audio of Brian Kelly practicing for SEC Media Days and on his response to Texas A&M and the rivalry uh, with them. So let, let's hear that. Let's go to the, cue up the audio here at uh, Studio 54 uh, at the Locked on the Gamecocks headquarters. Uh, but A&M, they only have guy cheerleaders. Do, doesn't the SEC need something like guy <laughs> cheerleaders? Well, that's not genteel at all. The SEC is about gentility. Uh, we prefer a genteel man, uh, fine haberdashery. They look like somebody uh, working on a car back in the 60s. It looks like somebody that was one of uh, uh, those oil rats that would change my oil down here in Mooresville, Alabama. And then they run out and they start cheering for football. Uh, but it looks like they hadn't been busy a day at all. The brand new white uh, cheerleader jumpsuits or whatever they are, that's embarrassing. Cheerleading is for women. Hey. Uh, jams and preserves are for women. Football's for men. But SEC got... All right, so there is a, a preview of uh, Brian Kelly practicing his southern accent and uh, discussing the uh, quirks, if you will, putting it in a nice way, uh, about the difference between Texas A&M and the rest of the SEC. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think, like, the, the thing that's fun about Media Days, right, is you get to hear from the new coaches, Brian Kelly being one, certainly. We'll see if he throws a y- few y'alls in there, anything like that. That'll be that'll be fun. We'll see what happens there. But, uh, you know, you, you've got some interesting names, right? Billy Napier is going to be there, obviously, and that's a new one. And, and obviously, familiar with Carolina fans after the, the coaching search a couple of years ago. So, uh, Shane Beamer going into his second one, Clark Lee going into his second one, and, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's always fun to get to hear from the new coaches. Uh, you know, will the Jimbo uh, Saban spat continue, so to speak? I'm sure there will be questions about that since uh, neither has spoken super publicly outside of his SEC spring meetings about it uh, since then, at least. Uh, so the question becomes, is, you know, is that something that comes up? I'm sure it will come up a little bit, but it's going to be the interesting. It's always it's fun. There's always someone that tends to, draw some headlines or steal some headlines or whatever it is. Obviously, you know, Steve Spurrier did plenty of that himself and you know, drink Woods has done it. Eli drink Woods has done it in the past. So we'll, uh, we'll see. It should be, it should be a fun week and there's always, uh, always some fun talk going on. So after uh, general Beauregard Kelly goes on Monday, you got a uh, lame Tommy Lee Kiffin. And I've been told before he takes the stage, his walk-up music will be, uh, girls, girls, girls from uh, Motley Crue. Uh, certainly Lane Kiffin is always very interesting. And, you know, he's been uh, very outspoken on name, image, and likeness and what that has done to recruiting in college football. Yeah, it definitely has. And I think, like, you look at what Ole Miss has been able to do in the transfer portal, I mean, whether it's NIL-related or not, I mean – it's one of the more interesting teams this offseason, just given what they've been able to do and bring in and so on and so forth. And I think that, you know, you're going to see really quickly whether Lane Kiffin can flip a roster in about a year because he's going from a 10-win team to losing a lot of pieces from last year's team. I'm, I'm not quite as high on Ole Miss as I think a lot of people are. Uh, I'm not quite ready to, you know, anoint Jackson Dar as the best thing since sliced bread. I think that have a little more trepidation about this team than, than I think most. And I, I'm not convinced that Ole Miss isn't headed for like a seven win season as opposed to, you know, another 10 win season. All right. Then uh, after Lane Kiffin, uh, the final coach on the opening day is uh, Eli have a drink on me. Drinkwitz, uh, the drink from Missouri. And yesterday I did my quarterback rankings and I had to put Missouri at 14 because, quite frankly, they don't know who their quarterback's going to be. They don't know if Sam Horn is going to survive the Major League Draft, which kicks off on Sunday. Uh, 
Brady Cook and Tyler Macon returned from last year. Southern Misses quarterback Jack Abraham transferred in. And then they took a JUCO who reclassified. And Makai Lee, he enrolled in June. And so really interested to see or to hear what Eli Drinkwitz has to say uh, about Missouri and I don't I'm wondering who he's gonna kick around this year since he doesn't have uh old Danny Kicks down there in Gainesville to, to kick around anymore. Yeah, anytime Eli Drinkwitz gets behind the mic, it's uh you're usually in for a treat. So that's that's one that I'll definitely have circled and be excited to uh, excited to hear from. All right, so then on Tuesday you've got uh Nick, I'm your daddy. Saban, who is the king of the SEC, he leads off day two. Uh, then the pirate ship sails in with uh, Mike Leach. You know, his quarterback, I got to say, Mississippi State is a very interesting team to me. I mean, when you look at what Will Rogers did last year, 505 of 683, 74% for 4,739 yards, 36 touchdowns, and nine interceptions. What's your thoughts on Mississippi State? Yeah, Mississippi State's an interesting spot because it's a team that's gotten older quicker. It was one of the youngest teams in the country two years ago when Mike Leach took over and has some pieces back that, that I think that they should be good. They're going to be good in the trenches. They've got some pieces at linebacker, good in the secondary again. Offensively, they got to replace Makai Paul, who had, you know, 100 receptions last year. But, uh, you know, they have some options. Jaden Wally, I'm really high on, uh, and, I, and should be a really good player again this year. They, they, Austin Williams is back for about a million deer. So that's a Mississippi State team that, you know, and Will Rogers obviously running the show. I mean, Mississippi State should be good, but they were also running to a buzzsaw of a schedule. I mean, South Carolina fans are, you know, used to hearing this, but you know, that's a Mississippi State team that is probably better than on paper. It's probably going to be better than it is on paper. Um, you know, when it comes to their record and whatever you want to call it. I mean, like this team could go six and six, but really they're you know eight nine win caliber team, and and I think that they're, they're going to be better than than they might finish. I think you just they, they they run into an absolute buzzsaw. I think they've got Georgia as a crossover game this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you play a really good Kentucky team. You got Alabama, obviously, every year. LSU, who I think is going to be better than people think. Uh, this is a this is a Mississippi State team that's just got a really, really, really tough schedule to navigate. I think that that's that's sort of going to be a product of what what where they might finish as far as uh, a record. All right. So after the pirate ship, you've got Shane Zig Ziglar Beamer. Uh, the Energizer Bunny. I mean, last year, Shane Beamer came into SEC Media Days. I mean, he took the iconic picture of the Arby's on the way out, uh, the one of Steve Spurrier. But, I mean, he had a motivational speech prepa uh, prepared, uh, high energy, uh, very excited about South Carolina. And now after year one where you've gone from two wins to seven wins, you brought in Spencer Rattler and all these pieces out of the transfer portal, along with having one of the more veteran rosters in the Southeastern Conference. What do you expect from Shane Beamer's second SEC media days? Yeah, it should be interesting. I think that was something that was, you know, fascinating last year was that Shane Beamer was a guy that obviously in Columbia everyone knows about, but you know, around the league didn't quite have as much, uh, you know, fervor or people weren't, didn't really know what to expect, I think, frankly. Um, and I think, you know, kind of took it by storm a little bit. I think it was really impressive. Everyone I talked to was really excited about it and kind of his first go at it at media days. And I think that, you know, after the year that they've had and, and the South Carolina had, I think, you know, there'll be a little more confidence. You can, you know, have a little more fun and, and all of that. And I think that, you know, loosen up a little bit. So, uh, I think that it should be a really interesting dynamic. I think that, you know, again, you know, Shane Beamer is, is you know, not quite as, as out there as the guy like Eli Drinkwitz, but as a guy who's really good behind her microphone, really interesting, really insightful. And I think that, uh, you know, it should be, should be a really nice, uh, should be a nice uh, entree for, uh, for uh, what is that, Monday or Tuesday's uh, session. Yeah, I agree. I mean, after Saban and then, 
Mike Leach, they put everybody to sleep. Shane Beamer's going to wake everybody up, and maybe that'll be good for Clark Lee, who winds up uh, uh, the coaches. He's uh, last on Tuesday. On Wednesday, to me, is the most interesting day of SEC Media Days. You got uh, the pit boss, Sam Pittman at Arkansas. Then you got Billy, uh, Sergeant Carter, Napier, who's really perhaps the, is the, you know, the most odd uh, public speaker uh, of the week. I mean, we know Mike Leach is somewhere on the spectrum, but from hearing Billy Napier's sound bites, I'm not so sure he may not be somewhere on the spectrum as well. Then you've got... Uh, uh, Kirby, not only am I a member, I'm the president, the hair club for men. He goes on third. And then Mark, Lil Stoopsy, Stoops wraps up the day uh, at Kentucky. Four very compelling uh, programs uh, and, and what should be a, just a jam-packed day on Wednesday for you guys. Yeah, it should be. And like you said, top to bottom, you get a lot of personalities. I'm really excited to hear from Sam Pittman. I don't know that I guess I would have last year, but I haven't heard a ton from Sam Pittman since, uh, you know, he became the head coach of Arkansas. So it should be interesting. And obviously he's got a relationship that dates back with Shane Beamer uh, to their days at at, uh, at Georgia and, and even before that, uh, actually, you know, and so that should be fun and, and interesting to hear. Uh, and then like you mentioned, Mark Stoops, Billy Napier, a couple other guys. So it should be, uh, and Kirby Smart, obviously. So it, it's, it's a jam-packed day. It's going to be interesting, and uh, I'm excited for it. All right. Then on Thursday, Brian uh, Dead Man Walking Harson uh, leads off the day, followed by Josh Get Me a Donut, Hypel, and then Four Lost Jimbo uh, finishes uh, things up. It'll be interesting to see uh, – you know, how kind or not so kind the media questions are for Brian Harson, certainly Josh Heupel. You know, this is very interesting to me because there's a big hype machine on Tennessee right now. But if you go back to Central Florida, his first year was really great. Innovative offense. But then everybody got a full season worth of tape on it. And then the second year, not so productive. And the third year, not as productive. Uh, and Tennessee's defense may actually be worse than it was last year. I'm interested to see that. And then, you know, four loss Jimbo. I mean, CBS Sports published uh, their hot seat rankings and he was a zero. Uh, uh, from zero to five, five being the hottest. And I don't know so much about that. He's lost at least four games every year since he's been at Texas A&M. To me, there's some pressure on Jimbo Fisher this year, especially after the way he's ran, ran his mouth about Nick Saban in Alabama. Yeah, you know, A&M's in an interesting spot because obviously they signed the recruiting class they did last year, but or excuse me, this most recent cycle. But uh, again, how many of those guys are going to be able to make an impact from day one? I don't know. You lost a lot of pieces on that de- a really, really good defense from last year. I'm not sold on Haynes King at quarterback. I, I just, I'm not convinced that this A&M team is as good as the folks seem to think they are. I mean, I know that A&M's recruited well and been, you know, done a good job over the last few years since Jimbo's been there and the talent level is definitely taking a step forward. But I, I just, I, I find it hard to believe that this team is going to, oh, this is going to be the team that's going to go and rattle off 10 wins, right? It just doesn't, it just doesn't strike me as that team on paper. Uh, and then obviously you mentioned Brian Harson and the messy situation he was in over the summer and, and whether, you know, how quickly is that going to be resolved? Uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, that's sizing up for a mess of a, uh, a mess of a season. And uh, then obviously Tennessee, like you said, and, and Tennessee, honestly, I find falling kind of the same category as a and I think it's just, you know, you lost some pieces. Hennon Hooker's obviously back and was really good and efficient, but, you know, does another year of tape help defenses out? 
you know, was it catching people by surprise a little bit? I don't know. I just I think it's really easy to anoint Tennessee uh, as the number two team in the SEC East, but I mean, really, like I think Kentucky's pretty clear cut the second best team in the East behind Georgia, and and then after that it's kind of gravy. But uh, I, I, it's an interesting way to end the uh, end the week, but uh, should be uh, a couple of teams with a lot of question marks. I guess is the best way to put it. No doubt. All right, so let's uh, go back to South Carolina. So obviously. I don't know if any team in the country's done more to solidify their quarterback room in the last seven months than South Carolina. You bring in Spencer Rattler, uh, you sign Braden Davis, who was the Delaware Player of the Year. You, you know, perfect storm. You end up getting Tanner Bailey, who was your number one guy who was going to Oregon. Then Mario Cristobal goes to Miami. Uh, even before that, Joe Moorhead, who was really responsible for that recruitment, he leaves to take a head coaching job. You get him, uh, you've already got, you know, Dante Reno, and you got maybe the most intriguing walk-on quarterback in the country in Jalen Daniels. Uh, just your thoughts on the quarterback room, and obviously Dylan Lonergan just committed to Alabama on Monday. You know, Ben, it's been talked about that if that happened, Reno could reclassify to 23 and then Jaden Bradford, you know, is right in your wheelhouse, a kid from Chapin who's at IMG Academy and, uh, you know, could be one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the country for 24. You tee him up for that 2024 class. I know you've had some thoughts on that. Uh you know, your thoughts on the turnaround of the quarterback room and then where does South Carolina go from here after Lonergan uh, goes to Alabama? Yeah, I mean, gosh, give Marcus Satterfield a lot of credit here. I mean, say what you will about the play calling, but the way that South Carolina split the quarterback room, it's it's pretty impressive, and it, it, it puts South Carolina in a really good position moving forward. You mentioned Jalen Daniels is the guy that they snagged, and you know, folks on the staff are really high on, you know, he's a guy that most think will probably end up on scholarship at some point here sooner than later, uh, as soon as that resolves itself. Um, but, you know, looking for moving forward and, and looking at the rest of it, I mean, it, the thought is that Dante Reno would slide into the 2023 class, reclassify and all that. From my understanding, I, that's not a given. I don't think that that's something that's, you know, cut and dry and is ha- guaranteed to happen. I think a lot of folks have just assumed that is happening, and I, I would not assume that. I think there's some conversations to be had and some discussions to be had, and there's a lot of moving pieces to that entire deal. And, uh, I, I mean, you know, call it 50-50, I guess, but I, I'm not ready to say that that's, you know, a certainty by any stretch. And if that's the case, then – you know, I, I kind of wrote about this today, and if you haven't read it, you know, there's some options in-state. Grayson Loftus is a Duke commit, Norris Sellers, Raheem Jeter. There's a couple of guys that South Carolina's had interest in in the past that, that are all in-state guys that, that could theoretically be flipped candidates. Carson Black at Memphis has a South Carolina offer, and he's the only other quarterback in the class right now uh, that has a South Carolina offer that's not Dylan Lonergan or, or Eli Holstein. Now, whether it's committable or not is a separate issue, but, uh, you know, outside of that, you know, it's possible that Jalen Daniels just functionally becomes your 2023 quarterback. I mean, he's a guy that got in late, you redshirt him this year, however you want to handle that, and, and he becomes the guy that's your 2023 quarterback, just sort of in practice because of having him in camp this year and, and you know, on the roster this year. So, and not to mention the fact that you signed two quarterbacks last year when you pretty much only expected to sign one, uh, and you had Tanner Bailey fall in your lap a little bit. So, I think that South Carolina doesn't need to sign a quarterback. If they want one, there are options. I think that the general thought process is that you want to sign a quarterback every year um, just to build that, that, that depth. But I mean, right now you've got what Spencer Rattler, Jalen Daniels, Luke Doty, Colton Gauthier, Tanner Bailey, Braden Davis. I mean, that's basically six. And a, I guess if you want to count Jalen Daniels as half of a scholarship quarterback, it's like six and a half scholarship quarterbacks right now. Uh, you know, you're not, and Dante Reno, obviously in the fold for 2024 at the moment. So you're not hurting for quarterbacks. You're not necessarily in a position or things could go haywire like they did a couple of years, you know, last year. Um, but I think that it's not a certainty that Dante Reno is just going to slide right into the 23 class. And I think that 
biggest point to be made is that I don't think that that, that as much as folks think that's is over and done with cut and dry, it's not that simple. And I don't think that uh, there's some things to sort out, I think, there before before anything can uh, kind of move from there. But if that happens, like you mentioned, I think that that sets up South Carolina really nicely to go after Jaden Bradford or whoever it is. All right, good stuff. So uh, obviously Greg Sankey will kick it off on Monday at SEC Media Days. Uh, last year at SEC Media Days, a bombshell hit uh, that Texas and Oklahoma would be joining the SEC. Uh, a couple weeks ago now, the Big Ten, they fired off their nuclear bombshell that Southern Cal and UCLA will be joining the Big Ten, leaving the Pac-12, and they will begin play in-league in 2024, uh, do you think this changes the timeline for Texas and Oklahoma? And, you know, is college football headed towards an NFL model of where there are two super conferences and you end up having the Big Ten and the SEC just like it's the NFC and the AFC and you play it off until there's a you know, college football Super Bowl, so to speak. Yeah, I think it was Matt Hayes and Dennis Dabo reported this the other day. The SEC's preference would be to stay at 16 teams at the moment. I think there's a, a president at least right now would like to keep the conferences as is and might keep at least some of the regional stuff going, um, although that's kind of gone to hell with some of the additions of, you know, USC and UCLA and, and the Big Ten and all of that. But, um, you know, that said, I think that, it's interesting. I don't. I wouldn't expect any more bombshells, at least for the moment. I think that we're in a little bit of a. <laughs> I guess to to keep the metaphors going, you know, we're definitely in a little bit of a ceasefire right now. I think that, uh, you know, right now things are standing pat. I'd be surprised if you'd see anything, you know, realistically till probably after the season at this point. Um, you know, moving forward. But never say never. And I think that you've got some pieces of stuff that that could change. But I think that, you know. Realistically, the SEC likes where it's at. I, I think it was today that the uh, Big 12 commissioner, just before we hopped on, said that they're, they're open to letting Texas and Oklahoma join the, the league in 2024, the thought being though, that it would be really, really expensive. Uh, and so I guess there's the door open for that, um, that Texas and Oklahoma could be playing in the SEC in, in two years as opposed to three. Um, but that said, I think that this is how, you know, this is a situation where I think that, you know, there's always moving pieces. There's always pieces moving behind the scenes. But I think that for now, we're at least in, in a little bit of a pause. All right. So so here's my next question, though. Is the pause so that the SEC and the Big Ten uh, both put on a full court press on Notre Dame because I think Notre Dame is the next linchpin or could be the linchpin that blows it all up. If Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, if Notre Dame joins uh, the SEC, I mean, look, the Big Ten already now stretches from Southern California all the way in, you know, past New York City to the campus of Rutgers, which is, you know, 60 uh, minutes east of New York City. And so the Big Ten is a national conference. They go from coast to coast. I agree. I think they're in a pause right now. But how long does that pause go until you start saying, well, what if we get Notre Dame and then we snag Oregon and Arizona and Arizona State and then all these ACC teams, they're already plotting to try to leave that league to, you know, get out of that grant of rights, which uh, does not expire until 2036. I mean, look, you're talking about potentially $600 million over 12 years that those teams are going to not be receiving if they stay in the ACC versus joining the Big Ten or the SEC because when that new SEC deal kicks in, you're looking at about $108 million per team 
per year. Right now, the SEC or the ACC is getting fifty million a year. And oh, by the way, Notre Dame is only getting fifteen million dollars a year for their deal with NBC. And so I still think money and power is driving this whole thing. And it's certainly going to take several years before it plays itself out. But to me, ultimately, it's going to be the haves and the have-nots. And the haves are going to be the 20 to 24 teams that join the Big Ten and the 20 to 24 teams that join the SEC. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that, you know, at some point it's going to become – you're going to get into a point where it has to be super conferences, right? That you, that you're, these conferences are going to be built out, built out so much that, you know, you're probably going to end up with, with some level of super conferences. And then how does that affect the college football playoff and everything like that moving forward? That's a separate issue because the college football playoff, obviously that contract runs expires in 2020 after the 2025 season, I believe. So how does that change? How does that evolve? What does that look like? Uh, you know, it's a lot of TVD and a lot of the, uh, sort of smoke and, and, you know, no one really knows what's going to happen. But I think that, like you said, I think that the, the SEC is in a position where it can probably go and land, you know, whatever the best ACC, whatever schools it deems are the best ACC options, you know, whether that's Florida State, Miami, uh, you know, Clemson, Duke, North Carolina. I mean, like that, those schools all make sense if the ACC wanted to expand to or excuse me, the SEC wanted to expand to 20 teams. You throw in Georgia Tech and that's your, there's 20 right there. If I'm doing my math right. But, um, you know, I think that, like like I said, I think that there's a little bit of a pause right now. It's I don't really know when the Notre Dame chip falls. I think that's the biggest one is that you have to scope out what their NBC deal could be. I think there's a point that Notre Dame will probably have to join a league. Now, whether that happens a month from now, six months from now, six years from now, I don't know. But I think that there's there's a lot of money flowing around and obviously the big 10 is negotiating its TV deal right now. So how does that set the market? And, and I think that that stands to have a big effect on, on sort of the whole thing as well. I mean, look, you, you're looking at the ACC. Okay. I think they need eight teams to decide to pull out that voids the grant of rights because that is, you know, half their league. Uh, or probably a little over half their league, two, four, six, seven. Yeah, they have 14 teams. And I think some of these schools are going to get left behind because you've got Florida State, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, NC State, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Pitt. Those are probably the most desirable schools. Uh, Duke, Georgia Tech, Boston College, Syracuse, Louisville, and Wake Forest. I don't really know what they add for another league, right? I don't know that they're attracted to the Big Ten or to the SEC. Uh, But certainly, uh, there'll be time to work it all out. Um, And so... Uh, before we uh, head out today, I just wanted to get your picks for the SEC East. Uh, give us a little preview uh, of of how things could be shaken out, at least on your ballot for next week. Yeah, I might, I might have to do some shifting. We'll see. But I, I, right now, I like Georgia to win the East again. I, th- I think they're the best team pretty far and away. Uh, I like Kentucky second. Uh, I, I just think Mark Stoops has that thing rolling. Will Levis is back. I think that team's going to be really, really good. So I go uh, Georgia, Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt. Uh, I, I think Florida's going to be better than people realize. I think Anthony Richardson's one of the best quarterbacks in this league this year. And I think that, you know, obviously it's a small sample size. Can he stay healthy? But uh, look, it's Florida. It's a more talented team than 99% of the teams in college football. Even when Dan Mullen was recruiting the way he was, this is still a better team on paper than most most of every other team in America. And I think that it'll kind of rise to the top. Uh, South Carolina, Tennessee in the middle, I think are kind of interchangeable. Um, I think that, you know, both teams are kind of in similar spots. I think both teams are kind of in that sort of seven and five, eight and four, you know, best case nine and three, but more likely sort of seven and five-ish area. Uh, And then Missouri and Vanderbilt, I find, are are pretty set sort of there in the, uh, the bottom two rungs. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I mean, I can't. I, the only disagreement I have is really Florida because uh, a lot of players have bugged out of that program. And to me, Anthony Richardson is a huge question mark, particularly as much as uh, Sunbelt Billy loves to run the quarterback. Because Richardson, we saw last year it, in a similar approach, Dan Mullen, a lot of quarterback run game in that offense, and he couldn't stay healthy. And, you know, I'm not as convinced on the talent level at Florida because Mullen did slip some in recruiting and then uh, several of the better players on that roster left. And I think Billy Donovan, or not Billy Donovan, Billy Napier, uh, Florida's in rebuild mode. Uh, I, I think they're looking at six and six for me. Uh, you know, now, what does his next recruiting class look like? What does he do in the transfer portal after this season? I do think he has an opportunity to rebuild it quicker, do the transfer portal. But to me, I think, you know, Anthony Richardson does not have the body of work of even uh, Will Levis or Max Johnson, who I think will be the quarterback at LSU. Certainly not you know, the expectations of a Spencer Rattler. And I don't think their skill players will be better than South Carolina's when all is said and done this year. So, uh, I mean, you know, to me, Mark Stoops, he is untouchable at Kentucky. He's the coach there as long as he wants to be. I think they have to worry about keeping him because somehow – you know, I mean, look, Kentucky's a great job for him because he wins eight, nine games. Uh, you know, they're already looking for the basketball team to win the national championship there uh, in the winter. And so it's not Florida, which is a pressure cooker. You know, they have chewed up and spit out a number of guys that everybody thought would be successful there. Uh, beginning with Ron Zook to Will Muschamp to the Swamp Donkey and to uh, Danny Kicks, Dan Mullen, who was just a couple minutes away from knocking off Alabama and winning the SEC championship. So I just think that Florida job, it's a different animal than any other job in this league and I don't know of anybody that's had a worse seven months on the job than Billy Napier before he's ever coached a game, right? Like Mike Price, he had a first six pretty good months, and then he went to that golf tournament, uh, and uh, it kind of went south on him. So it'll be interesting for sure to see what uh, Billy Napier does in year one at Florida. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Like you said, it's, there's obviously been a lot of uproar pretty quickly about Florida. And it's gotten a little topsy-turvy, and, and that fan base is uh, a little riled up and pretty quickly. So uh, you're right. I mean, I think Florida's a question mark. I just think that, like, talent-wise, even with what you lose, I just think Florida, the way that they recruit and the guys that they've brought in are still at a point where they can sort of out-talent a lot of teams in the SEC. And, and we'll see. I mean, again, like – I didn't think South Carolina could beat Florida last year, but, you know, maybe South Carolina rolls into the swamp and puts, puts 40 on South Florida again this year. So we'll see. Well, definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, so I rewatched uh, that game. It was on the SEC Network uh, on the takeover day. You know, South Carolina just erupted for 30 straight points. I mean, that's a competitive game. Emory Jones, uh, you know, came out hot. But then he did what Emory Jones always does, which is, you know, give you seven points in a hurry. And that just sort of turned the game, I thought. Uh, you know, but if I'm picking right now, I'm taking South Carolina over Florida because I just think there's a lot more knowns at South Carolina with the defense, with the secondary, with – uh, the skilled players with the quarterback, and even now with seven returning starters on an offensive line that 
now Greg Atkins and Marcus Satterfield, they know what they can and can't do. Last year, they really didn't know what plays they could call to be successful uh, or not be successful. So I certainly think, uh, uh, and that's late in the season. You know, Florida may be hitting on all cylinders or, you know, there could be more dissension in the ranks. I mean, we just saw, you know, about 10 days ago, Billy Napier just sends three guys packing that uh, two of them, I think, from Lakeland. Uh, not not the best of moves there. So certainly uh, interesting times in the SEC and college football. So, Ben, tell us what you've got coming up on GoGameCox.com and the state uh, ahead of SEC media days. Yeah, uh, like I mentioned, got a got a story kind of breaking down where South Carolina goes with the 2023 quarterbacks, right, uh, that ran yesterday and, and posted this morning. And uh, we'll have a few more things sort of realignment-wise coming through the rest of the week. And uh, then obviously we'll have some some preview stuff for you all before media day is coming up. So we're uh, we're almost there. It's crazy that football season's kind of upon us. But, uh, gosh, here we are. It's uh, Media day is kind of the unofficial kickoff, right? So we're we're just about there. We're just about there. No doubt about it. Well, hey, safe travels uh, uh, in Atlanta and, you know, probably uh, stay away from the Magic City. You may see the eighth wonder of the world there. Uh, but uh, safe travels and uh, looking forward to all your coverage coming up uh, next week on Go Gamecocks with uh, SEC Media Days. Definitely. Appreciate you, Keith. Thanks for having me. All right. You got it. Take care, Ben. All right. That's going to do it for a Worldwide Wednesday show on the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. I'll be back tomorrow as GG Watch continues. Until then, I'm out of here, Gamecocks. <laughs>